I have to just admit something. I was I was sitting with my family uh, during the worshiping, and then during the prayer, I was trying to just quietly work my way down. And as I was coming down, Tim Pace came and hugged me. And I don't know if you guys remember Tim and Janita uh, were here for a long time ago. And was not expecting uh, a Tim hug um, on the way down, so I'm kind of thrown. It's great to see you guys. Um, but good morning. Um, so I, I don't know if, if, if you know, but I spend most of my days now in Brevard helping that church get started, but it's so great to be with you all this morning. Um, Advent starts next Sunday, and we've been going through a series on the Psalms, and uh, today's going to be our final um, installment of that series, but it's going to be in, still in, uh, in the spirit of the Reformation. You may, rem- you may remember last month uh, marked the 500th anniversary of Martin Luther uh, nailing the 95 Theses onto the door in Wittenberg, and I thought that it would be fitting to look at Psalm 46, which was not only Luther's um, favorite psalm, but also the... Um, foundation for probably his most famous hymn that we'll be singing later, A Mighty Fortress. Um, So uh, I'm excited uh, to get into this. So if you could please stand and I'll read Psalm 46. As as I read it, please uh, listen for the way in which the psalmist sort of builds his case leading to this famous declaration in verse 10 to be still and know that God is God. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, he burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations, I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Please pray with me. Father, we, we read this, but we need your help to believe it. And we need your spirit to make these truths evident in our lives. And so we ask that now. Come, spirit, be within us, be among us. May you be glorified in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. What... I'd like to do this morning is a little different from how I usually approach a text, and that is I usually start at the beginning. And I know that sounds a little odd to start at the beginning of a text and work my way through it, but what I'd like to do is actually highlight the end, this famous phrase from Psalm 46, be still and know that I'm God. What I'd like to do is highlight that and ask for you to keep that playing through your mind as we work through the text and sort of have that as a refrain. We constantly go back to that as we go through it. Be still and know that I am God. The psalmist divides Psalm 46 into three sections. If you have your Bibles, you can see it. I think it's printed that same way in the bulletin. Um, It wasn't that way originally, but others through the ages have sort of 
uh, marked it out like that. And you can see the three sections. It begins with an introduction, but then the three sections each declare God's sovereignty over one sphere after another. The first sphere that God is declaring his sovereignty over is nature. And then it moves into his sovereignty over those who would oppose him, those who would attack God's city before declaring God's sovereignty in the last section over a world that is at war, looking ahead to a time in which all war, all war cease. And then, like I said, once this case has been built, then comes this declaration to be still and know that I am God. I want to talk about that introduction first, though. Verse 1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. You can't really see it in English, but if you get underneath that, with the Hebrew that's going on, those words for refuge, strength, and help are stacked together. And that's a little trick they would use to show emphasis. So to read a, if I were to read a very literal translation of verse 1, it would be this. God is to us refuge, strength, helper. And in the end would read, in times of distress, he is found abundantly. So this very present help, he is there, he is to be found, but he is to be found abundantly. And just as a thought, yes, these truths can be applied individually, and that God is my refuge and strength. What I'm going to challenge you guys to do is, let's read it out as it, as it's, as it is. This plural is more of a corporate idea to it. God is our refuge and strength. So let, let's kind of read it as Grace Mills River, as the larger people of God. And to illustrate that this is what God is to us, the psalmist then moves to give us us some examples of times in which we would need God to be our refuge and strength. So look at verses 2 and 3. And whenever there begins with a therefore, you know you always need to go up a little bit and and see what, what has caused the therefore. So therefore, since God is our refuge, we will not fear... Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. One thing you might have already noticed is that one thing we're going to see in this psalm is the use of lots of word pictures. It's an incredibly vivid psalm. There's so much motion, so much imagery, and I hope that you can see in your minds the earth giving way. The mountains moving into the heart of the sea. And actually the word for move can also be translated to slip. So mountains slipping into the sea. Waters roaring and foaming. Mountains trembling at their swelling. This really is a terrifying picture. And yet we will not fear. God is our refuge and strength. And to these roaring waters and trembling mountains we hear, Be still and know that I am God. God reigns over nature. The waters don't roar without his allowance. The mountains don't slip without his permission. The second section of the psalm, we see God's power declared over those who would oppose him. And we also see water again. Water, especially the stormy seas, which for the ancient world so often symbolized instability and fear, is now to God a stream flowing into making glad the city of God. And what is the city of God? There was a time, yes, that the city of God was Jerusalem and God dwelling in the midst of it in the temple. But this this idea also carries with it, and we see this in Isaiah 2 that we just read uh, a few moments ago, we especially see it at the end of Isaiah, a forward-looking essence to it. Zion 
as it's referred to. A time of the new heavens and the new earth where wars are ceased and peace reigns. And we even get a glimpse of that also in our psalm this morning. So let's keep that in mind as we look to verse 6. And I want to spend some time on this one. I love the cadence of it in English. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. I'm not suggesting you do this, but what if you printed out verse 6 on a sheet of paper and taped it next to your TV? It taped it onto your computer or next to your monitor. If you have a, a chair that you sit in or next to your bed or something like that, especially when you watch the news, where you watch the news. What if at the conclusion of the news broadcast you recite verse 6? The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The same voice that effortlessly spoke creation into existence has the same power to speak his creation into oblivion, to speak and watch the earth dissolve. This is our God and it is right if verse 6 causes you to pause and hesitate a little bit as you consider the sheer power of the God we serve. Yet, that's immediately followed up with verse 7. He is with us. He is our fortress. Be still and know that I am God. The word fortress is an important word. Let's not just skip over it. In verse 1, we hear that God is our refuge or shelter, but now he's our fortress. So what's the psalmist doing here? You can obviously see... This has more of a military nuance to it, right? We're thinking more in militant terms. And we are at war, are we not? As Presbyterians, we might not think about this a whole lot. Maybe we do. I'm sure I don't think about it enough. But we are at war. And we're not against flesh and blood, but against what? Ephesians 6. Spiritual, spiritual forces, the rulers, authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil. So there definitely is a, um, a militant nuance to this, and that's why it's so important for us to see that, yes, God is our shelter. He is our strength. He is our help, but he's also our fortress. And now we'll look at the, at the last section. God proclaims his, his power and, and sovereignty over a world that is at war. It appears, when you, when you read it, especially verses 8 through 9, that he's looking at something that is happening in his present day, something that he's experiencing personally. But like I said, there's also this forward-looking element to it when you hear these words. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. Again, think of that Isaiah 2 passage, this forward-looking, there will come a time he breaks the bow, shatters the spear, burns the chariots with fire. And this outcome that we see in these verses does not come about merely because of a big battle. But if we really understand what's happening here, the outcome is the result of judgment. Tranquility, as one commentator wrote when I was studying this, tranquility is on the far side of judgment for those who are in Christ. The warring, the raging, and fighting of the world is not merely between nations, but from the psalmist's perspective, they are ultimately against God, and therefore there can be only one outcome, and guess what? God wins. 
So we've seen God's sovereignty over nature in the first couple of verses. Then we see his sovereignty over those who would oppose him. And then lastly, his sovereignty over all the nations of the world. The psalmist has built his case and has led to this declaration in Psalm 10. Be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now so many times I've read that, or I've heard it referenced to, I've heard it spoken, and I immediately think God is talking to me, Ben. Be still and know that I am God. And to an extent, that is absolutely true. But let's still focus on the text. In the context, who is God talking to? You see all these plural pronouns, our, this and that, and then we read this and we automatically think, oh, he's talking to me. And again, that's true. But let's still stay in the text. Who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the nations. The warring Nations, be still. He's speaking to those who would oppose him. Be still. He's even talking to nature itself. Be still. So there is, there is an implied y'all at the beginning of verse 10. And it's in the Hebrew. Seriously, the word for be still is one word and it's, it's an imperative, it's a command, but it's plural. You don't really get that in the English. But y'all, be still. And actually, if we get more into it, the, the, the nuance for the be still is, is, um, is more like knock it off. Stop it. Instead of necessarily just be still. It's like you're going through the psalm and it's just building and building and building and building and building and it's just, y'all stop it. Knock it off. We were driving back from Virginia yesterday. It was a seven hour trip. It was, wasn't supposed to be quite seven hours, but Two dogs, two young kids. We had to make some stops. And uh, about two hours away from Hendersonville, I did that classic dad thing where the girls were just tired of being in the car. I'm tired of being in the car. The dogs have to pee. And it's just building and building and building. And they're getting more and more crazy. And I just do that. Guys, stop it. I need you to be quiet. Knock it off. I'm driving. And I think that's a little bit more of the nuance that's happening here in Psalm 46. It isn't just simply be still. There's more to it. Throughout the psalm, there's been so much movement. And then we see this contrast to be still. And my question to you now, and what, we, what I want us to consider, is what does it mean to be still? What does it mean to knock it off, to stop it? What does it not mean to be still? What I'm going to do is step aside, and I hope that this illustration that you're about to see will help us um, answer that question. What does it mean to be still? Hey, uh, Jeff, come on in. Door's open. Are you Mike? Oh, oh, who are you? I am Patty, your new trainer. Surprise. Trainer? Like a personal trainer? Yes. Uh, your wife asked me to come weekly and help get you in shape. <sighs> she thinks I'm fat. Oh, I'm sorry. I must not have been clear. I'm not that kind of a trainer. Oh. So uh, what kind of trainer are you? I am a be still trainer. <laughs> and you get paid for that? <laughs> You'd be surprised. I have a very long wait list for new clients, actually. Your wife put in her order around election time last year. Is this on video? I mean, are, are, are you for real? Yes, sir. What is that? 
Uh, here is my card. Patty Milner, stillness coach, helping people find their inner peace? Yes, you see, finding peace is not just something that can happen overnight. But with my program, it's guaranteed in five weeks or less. <laughs> yeah, well, if you hadn't noticed, I was doing fine relaxing before you got here. I mean, I got my television, I made a snack, a cold drink. <laughs> I got my bases covered. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. The I'm sitting still, therefore I'm master of my stillness approach. Yeah. You see, we're going to have to break down your misconceptions of what stillness is and then build up a healthy understanding. <laughs> my misconceptions. <laughs> Let me put it to you this way. I coach inner stillness, not outer stillness. Oh, uh, well, and let me remind you that I am very good at both the inner and the outer. Well, then you won't mind a quick assessment. <laughs> You're going to assess my stillness? It's all part of the program. Now just lie down on the floor. I am not going to do... Mm -hmm. Fine. Great. Great. Now just take a deep breath and... Just take a deep breath and clear your mind. <sighs> Good. Now tell me what you believe is the state of the U.S. economy. Well, uh, it, uh, it's pretty good, but it's doomed. Okay, I, what, what? okay. Um, how do you feel about football players taking a knee during the national anthem? <sighs> what does that have to do with stillness? Please, sir, just relax. Did my wife tell you about my neighbor? Got He's a it, jerk about got it. it. Thank you. Uh, just relax. Thank you. Next question. Who did you vote for? I am not telling you that. I don't even know you. Okay, fair enough. What are your thoughts on North Korea? Well, I guess it just, when I think about it, it keeps me up at night. Spending time with your mother-in-law? <laughs> How's that going to help me with stillness? Okay, toilet paper. Over or under on the roll? Over? Mac or PC? Mac? Coke or Pepsi? Okay, that's it. I'm done. Yes, that is the end of the assessment. Oh. We have our work cut out for us. You have no stillness in you. Perhaps one of the most severe cases I've ever seen. We must start aggressive stillness training as soon as possible. I don't need aggressive stillness training. I'm already still. My point exactly. Well, exactly how much is this going to cost me? Okay, it is itemized. Ooh. There's a certain upcharge for the time of year. The holidays present a particular challenge when it comes to finding stillness. Yeah, well, you know, Patty, I don't think we're going to need any of your services because from the looks of things, I'm about as still as I'm ever going to be. Oh, your training has already begun. We meet at dawn. I'm not paying you for this. I've already run your MasterCard. <laughs> there... There is an inner stillness, there's an external stillness, there's a physical stillness, and there's also a spiritual stillness. And I think that when we look at Psalm 46, it might be tempting to think that God is talking about one of these and not another. So we need to really carefully consider what it is that's being said in the psalm. I'm going to go back through what we've already seen 
to see this contrast that comes at verse 10. So again, just listen to this. Verse 2, we saw earth giving way, mountains slipping into the sea. Verse 3, we saw waters roaring and foaming, mountains trembling. Verse 6, we saw nations raging and kingdoms tottering. Verse 8, desolations of the earth. Verse 9, broken bows, shattered spears, burned chariots. So again, a lot of emotion, a lot of activity, all that movement, and then be still. So I think, yes, because of the contrast that we see, there is sort of an external physical stillness that the psalmist has in mind. However, two things. All the movement that we see in the psalm is similar in one way. And then secondly, to really understand what God is talking about, about being still, um, we need to keep reading. So again, the, the movement is similar in one way. And then again, to really get what got what's going on here with God's command to be still, we just need to keep reading the verse. So first thing, what unites the motion? How is it all similar? Well, it's, it's this. The motion is united in its rebellion against and opposition to the sovereign God and the creator of all things. Now, we can understand how individuals and nations pursue their own agendas or the pursue their own desires instead of God's holiness. We can understand how that is rebellion against God and certainly warrants his, his response of knock it off or to be still. But what about mountains slipping and, and waters roaring? How is this rebellion against God? For our purposes this morning, I think, well, let me just say that all of creation has been affected by sin. That's why in Revelation we, we read that we're going to be getting a new, a new heavens and a what? And a new earth. So even creation is going to be renewed. But the bigger point here is to show how God's authority and sovereignty over all of creation, and this includes kingdoms and nations, this also includes mountains and seas, is being displayed in this psalm. So again, all the motion that we see in the psalm is united by its opposition to God. So when he says, be still, he's referring to the movement and activities that are in rebellion to him. But then to the second point, what else is going on here? How do we need to keep reading? Look again at verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. What is the point? What is the purpose? What is the ultimate end of all things? It is God's glory that he will be exalted among the nations, that he will be exalted in the earth. The raging and roaring that is taking place is because they do not know him and therefore are not still. In some of our children's classes, they're going through the shorter catechism. And so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to quiz you right quick. Question number one, shorter catechism, what is the chief end of man? Does anybody know? Glorify God and enjoy him forever. If you don't know it, that's fine. The shorter catechism, question number one, what is the chief end of humanity? What's the purpose of being here? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. How is that to happen? How is it to happen? It's by knowing that God is God. Look again at verse 10. God doesn't just say, be still that I may be exalted. But what? Be still and know that I am God. Knowing that he is God is necessary 
If we're going to ever glorify or exalt him, if you seek to glorify him, and I know that some of you already know this, but it's good to hear it again. If you seek to glorify God, or live a life that you think makes him happy, or to be a good person without knowing him, that is only going to lead to a slavish, unfulfilled, and deeply frustrating existence. And that is not at all what is going on in Psalm 46. Knowing God leads to worship of him. How? Well, I was really helped this week by Jonathan Edwards, 18th century theologian. Uh, He wrote a sermon on Psalm 46, and it's referenced in your bulletin. I highly encourage you to look it up. I think there will even be a link um, on the resource page online. Um, keep in mind it's from 1735, so the audio and the video is a little sketchy. It might be better to just read it. Uh, but he preaches on Psalm 46, and um, I, I gleaned this from his sermon. Knowing God includes knowledge of four things. And each of them are just incredible. Number one, God's absolute and infinite perfection in his being and his actions. So knowing God includes knowledge of his absolute and infinite perfection in his being and actions. I mean, it's incredible. Also, number two, knowledge of his greatness, that he is infinitely above all comprehension. Knowledge of his sovereignty, that all things are his Knowledge that he is worthy to be sovereign over all things. He's worthy of it. Now, if I were to close right now the sermon and say, have a great day, and off you go with this feeling of, okay, I need to be still, but I also need to know all these things about God. It's all on you. I want to keep going here. Because we will never know these things about God without the help of God himself. It's God who revives our cold hearts. It's God who renews our minds and our wills to even think about him, much less desire him. This is not something we do on our own. It's accomplished by his spirit. But what has to happen before the spirit can enter in? Do you know? There's a process that's involved. What what, what can take place before the spirit comes? We have to be purchased. We have to be bought back. And how are we paid for by the blood of Christ. He is the one in his life, death, resurrection. He is the one who pays for us to be brought and bought back. This is what it means to be redeemed. And I encourage you to go to Galatians 3, 1 Peter 1. Those guys do an excellent job talking about this, far better than I am right now. But Galatians 3, 1 Peter 1, we had to be bought And the currency was the blood of Christ. It's then that the Spirit enters in and begins his good work. I've got a friend of mine who, uh, he and his dad flip houses. They buy, buy houses, they renovate them, and then they sell them or rent them. But what has to do, what has to happen before they can start to renovate them? So this might help you see this. They have to buy the house before they can begin the renovation. And again, so it is with us. They can't just drive down the road and see a house they want to renovate and just start renovating it. That'd be kind of a shock to the people who live there. Uh, maybe it'd be a pleasant surprise. I don't know. But the house has to be purchased. And again, so it is with us before the renovation can begin. Um, let me get to 
kind of concluding this, there's something, all right, if you spend five minutes in Asheville, you will see a lot of philosophies, a lot of religions out there that talk about finding inner peace, right? Um, finding inner peace uh, and, and calming the soul and all this. But there's something here that makes Christianity unique. And you can't, and it's this, you cannot know God, much less have peace with God, until or unless you know Christ. And I think John fourteen six is a good place to go for this. Jesus says that I am the way and the truth and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through me. It's because of Christ and his shed blood that we are brought back The Spirit then enters in and stills those raging storms that are happening within us. But the Spirit does something else besides calming the storms. The Spirit also makes us an adopted child of God. So it's not just knowing God, it's knowing who you are in Christ. And with this realization comes immense life-giving freedom. The rebellious storms of creating and sustaining your own identity, your own worth, your own fortress. It's all stilled. Be still and know that I am God. And once that stillness comes, once those raging storms of rebellion are stilled, what are you then able to do? Be still and sit on the couch. Or be still and do what? Love. It's very simple. To love. Love others in the way that you've been loved. It's selfless. It's other-centered. This is the kind of love that was exhibited on the cross. This kind of love that now dwells within you if you are in Christ. And that love just flows out of you. You are His. The raging and tottering. Just think of all those words that are in the psalm. All this motion. The raging and tottering to make your own identity is stilled. The rebellious state in which, in which you once lived is now stilled. And you are now free to move out beyond yourself and to love. Now. Sometimes those storms come back, don't they? It's not just kind of George Cassanza in Seinfeld. Serenity now! If you know that reference. Just serenity now. Just have to say that and then I'm serene. No. It's a process. But here's the, the difference. Once you're in Christ, those storms no longer define you. Those storms no longer reign in your life. You are a new creation. You are His. And yeah, those storms may come back, but it no longer defines you. Just a quick example of this. We were, like I said, we were in Charlottesville, where we were in Virginia this, this past week, visiting Janae's parents. And one afternoon... I walked down to a local coffee establishment that was close to their house. And um, busy week, right? A lot of stuff going on. It was a long line in this certain coffee establishment. But I get close to the time to order, and there was a couple in front of me. And they made their order, and to be honest, I understood very little about what they said. But apparently the guy behind the counter understood, so off he goes. But then they came time to pay. And here's where it got interesting. Evidently, there's an app on your phone that's got stars on it, or stars on the app. And you can pay for your coffee with stars. And I'm kind of, I don't know, showing my hand here in what coffee establishment I'm talking about. I'm trying to not do that. But um, So this woman was wanting to pay for her order with stars, but the guy used too many stars. And she wanted some of the stars put back on her app. But the guy didn't know how to put the stars back on her app. 
she was getting very upset about this. So the guy went to ask another coworker, hey, I need to put more stars back on her app. The other lady didn't know. The guy came back and apologized to the woman in front of me who was getting very agitated at this moment, as were most of the people behind me. The poor guy goes to find his manager, and this time the woman turns to me and she apologizes to me. And here's the thing. I, I just smiled and I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. No problem. But she was raging. <laughs> and she, was, she couldn't understand why this guy didn't just uh, cancel the order and redo all the stars. Here's the point. Not that long ago, I could not have just smiled at her and said, no problem. No worries. Don't worry about it. It's all good. I would have had a very hard heart towards her and her stars. I would have probably offered her my stars. (laughs) I don't have any stars, but can I just help in some way to move this process along? My impatience would have been uncontrollable. But in that moment, and I'm serious, in that moment, I was able to kind of be outside of what was happening and the frustration that was happening all around me, and I was able to just see her and say, it's okay, it's all right. This woman... It seemed uh, had far too much at stake concerning her emotional well, uh, health and being determined by these stars. And I, I just I kind of wanted to just hug her and say, it's okay, it's okay. Now granted, full disclosure, minutes later, someone was standing in front of me while I was trying to get some napkins and I almost lost it. <laughs> so don't think that I'm some sort of like Buddha. <laughs> Baby steps, right? Sanctification is a process. Being conformed into the likeness of Christ does not come overnight. Let me close. This is a busy time of year, right? Hustling, bustling, but then also just life is crazy. So I hope that the the truth of this psalm extends beyond our immediate present, but also extends, and I'm getting to know some of you more, and I know that there are storms raging in your lives. External storms and internal storms that are far more serious than Black Friday sales and all this. So I just hope and pray that regardless of the time of year or whatever we're facing, by the grace of God and the presence of His Spirit, spirit, we will experience the stillness of our souls. Knowing that we are loved, knowing that we are forgiven, knowing that we are secure, all because of Christ, and nothing will ever change that. And this knowledge leads to an internal stillness that doesn't lead to paralysis, doesn't lead to us sitting on the couch, but leads us to moving out beyond ourselves, loving others with that selfless love that Christ first showed us. I'm going to pray and after the prayer, Tanya and everyone is going to read, uh, lead us in a song that um, summarizes a lot of what we've heard. And I would ask that you use that time to maybe reflect and go back over Psalm 46. Um, maybe look up Galatians 3 as you're listening to the song or First Peter 1. Or just be still and listen to the song and, and be encouraged by what you're hearing. Please pray with me. Father, there is so much 
raging, tottering, foaming, slipping and sliding going on in our lives externally, but also internally. Even if we know you, there are still moments where the storms come back. It is in those moments and all the moments in between that we need to be reminded that the ultimate storm has been stilled. The sin that we have has been paid for. We have been bought and brought back by the blood of Christ. Help that truth to be magnified in our lives as we turn out from ourselves and love others in that same way that we have been loved. All in the name of Christ. Amen.